0: We've been teaching through the scriptures but using the flat platform called The Story. And The Story is uh, the New International Version tra- Translation of the Bible. And it puts your Bible in chronological order. You may not be aware of this, but the Bible that you hold in your hand or the app that you use on your phone, it's not in chronological order. I don't quite understand the order that it got placed in, but it's not in chronological order. The Story puts your Bible in chronological order. And honestly, as you read it, you will go like, oh my goodness, the Bible makes sense. And the Bible does make sense when you understand what God's been doing from Revelation, I mean, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Now, we're almost completing the story. So like, if you're just joining the party, right? we're on chapter 30 of 32. But it's okay. You can buy the book anywhere, and it's worth the read. Today we're looking at the life of Paul, and we're going to look at a specific kind of area of his life. But Paul was one of the church fathers. He started out as a guy who was a persecutor of the church. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And from that point, he is the one, most of your New Testament was written by Paul. He would write letters to churches. Those letters have become uh, sources of our scripture on how we, the people of God, the church... This building is not the church. We are the church. Like, point at somebody and say, like, that, that actual word that Jesus says was, you're the ecclesia, you're the called out ones. You are the called out ones that Paul would write to and says, this is how you live in a crazy world. The world was crazy when Paul lived in it, and newsflash, I don't know if you know this, but the world's still crazy. It's even crazier. If you look at the world and go, you know, the world's pretty sane, I'm going to pray for you, all right, because the world is not sane. Here is Paul's timeline. He was born an Israelite around 5 AD, a Roman citizen by birth. He was trained by a really, really smart guy named Gamaliel at the age of 10. Now get this, at age 26, Paul was a Pharisee. In 16 years, he had this title. He had earned this title of a Pharisee. Here's what a Pharisee could do. A Pharisee had the entire Old Testament Bible memorized. All of it, not like... A couple cool verses, the entire Old Testament book. So, you know, when you get a little little spiritual cocky because you know two verses by memory, (laughs) Paul knew the entire Old Testament. And not only did he have it memorized, he understood it and could teach it and debate it and use it as for instruction. Um, he was also because of his zeal he was given the authority to search out this this new rebellious teaching by a guy named named Jesus who his followers had begun talking about because Jesus' followers talked about they had saw a man crucified and they saw this same man who was crucified on a cross resurrect and that teaching was creating a serious uproar within their religious structure and Paul was commissioned by his authorities to go and seek out these knuckleheads and persecute them, put them in jail and even at some point put them to death. He did that from the age of 27 to 29. Like he was going out and he was chasing down people like you and people like me to make sure we didn't preach this gospel of Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus lived again. On the age of 29, he's headed to this place called Damascus and God gets a hold of his life. He said, and then he travels to this area of Arabia for three years. At age 32, he travels to Damascus and then we lose sight of him until 41. And when he's 41 years old, his buddy, future buddy named Barnabas, tracks him down. And for the next 20 years of Paul's life, he will suffer a great deal for the cause of Jesus. Here are some of the things Paul goes through. During his lifetime, he would be stoned and left for dead. That doesn't mean he moved to Colorado and got high all the time, right? People picked up rocks and threw them at him until the dude almost died. So like, I know some people are like, oh, I've been stoned, almost left for dead. No, your buddies just bailed on you. Get new friends. That's not what I'm talking about, right? He was beaten with rods. He received 39 lashes, like with whips, five separate occasions. He was attacked by an angry mob. He was shipwrecked. He, was, uh, he floated at sea for 24 hours. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Looked out at the water at night, and it's all dark and big and scary. And like, you probably play that game. Maybe I'm just weird. we are like, what would I do if I fell overboard right now? Right? Or somebody pushed me. Like, I would just die of fear, right? Paul's been there. Check, done it. Awesome job. He was bitten by a poisonous snake, right? If you ever want to lose my friendship, chase me with a snake, right? Male, female, boy, child, I will punch you in the face. I don't care, right? You may beat me up afterwards, but you will know I was there, right? Don't Snakes are evil. And then he spent the last five to eight years of his life before he was crucified by Emperor Nero in a dungeon. In that dungeon, he wrote the letter that we're going to focus on today. He wrote a letter called that we call 2 Timothy because it was the second known letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And it's widely accepted that this was Paul's final letter. He's at the end of his life. He's knows his life is coming to the end, and he is wore out. He's exhausted. In Second Timothy, you don't read any big long entry introduction letter. It's not full of fluff and puff. He is right to the point. He doesn't even explain things in great detail, as you will see um, today in our teaching. Paul is right to the point instructing his young friend named Timothy. And Timothy was, uh, and we'll learn a little bit more about Timothy in a minute, but Timothy was somebody that Paul referred to as his child. He, He was, Paul was his father in the faith. And today's topic is the topic of suffering. The topic of suffering. Now, some of you are like, why would I even come today? I'm not suffering. Like, my life's pretty good. I got it made, right? Things are going great in my life. Like, I really am just kind of happy. The weather is nice. Uh, The royals are kind of good again. Like, things are are well for me. And here, here is my honest plea, okay? And I'm being really, really serious. If you're in the room and life is really, really, really good for you right now, can I please beg you to take excellent notes? Seriously, because... Something's coming into your life that you're not planning on, that you're not even considering, and it will drop you like a rock to the ground. Young people, old people. Old people know I'm telling the truth. Old people, can somebody say amen? amen. amen. Can some old people say word? So the young people, like words like amen to young people. Like somebody say word, old people. Like what word? What's word? Right. I so, said, right. It's like there is, and I know what we think. We think I'm so strong I'm tough. These shoulders can handle it. I know enough scripture. I go to church. I got good friends. I'm telling you, when suffering comes into your life, I don't care who you are. It will drop you. The question is, will you stay down or will you get up? Will you stay? It will drop you. Know this: if it doesn't drop you, I would question is if it truly suffering. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of maybe lead this presentation, this message, as I might lead a discipling group with some guys that I walk with. And I'm going to just kind of make some, start with some observations about suffering. Please, again, if life is great for you, take great notes. If you're in the midst of suffering, if things are really hard for you right now, I pray that today would be a great encouragement for you, or today would be a day that you recalibrate because you're responding poorly in the midst of your suffering. Okay? Which is completely possible. All right? Often the case. Here are five observations, really quick. The first one is this. Suffering is rarely enjoyable. Actually, it's never enjoyable. If you're like enjoying your suffering, I hate to break it to you, this is not suffering. All right? getting up this morning and having a flat tire is not suffering, right? Holding your baby in diapers and he or she having a blowout on you is not suffering, right? <laughs> though, though, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, um, we'll get into this more in a second. Number two observation, it's not always easily understood. Most times it's not. Most times you play the game, God, why are you doing this? This is the, where the question, why does good, bad things happen to good people? right? Because you can't make sense of it. And trying to, honestly, just makes it even worse. Number three, not that it will, but it can destroy your faith in God. Sometimes when suffering enters our life, we allow it to destroy our faith in God because it makes so much nonsense and it hurts so deeply that this can't be of God. And then we find ourselves as followers of Jesus saying, God, you're not there. God, you don't care. And you find yourself shaking your fist at the heavens saying, why? Woe is me. Like you're the one person that's ever experienced suffering. Number four, It can rob your love for people because a lot of times your suffering is brought upon by somebody else and it can rob your love for people because people be crazy. Not everybody's as nice as this guy right here, right? Not everybody's as sweet as old Pastor Matt. Some people are hell-bent on bringing their wickedness into your life and it can rob your love for the rest of the world. Number five, last one, it is easier to run from suffering than it is to endure it. It's easier to run from it than it is to endure it and see and discover what God might be doing in the midst of this unfair, unfortunate thing. Now, that's some observations, right? Maybe you can make some notes beside those that kind of get your brain going. I want to talk to you now three ways that suffering typically comes into our life. And this is important because I'm going to begin now to lay the foundation of what you begin to build on, on how you will deal with suffering or how you're currently dealing with suffering or how you might one day deal with suffering. And the first thing is that we need to, you need to be able to understand how is suffering entering your life. The first way is this. Suffering comes into your life because you create it. You create it. Don't be mad at God because of your credit card debt. And that's what we do, right? Don't blame, get mad at God because your mortgage is too high. Don't get mad at God because... It's a, silly, a silly example would be going a, a 55 and a 30 and getting pulled over and getting mad at the cop because he gave you a ticket. And don't say you don't do it. We all do, right? We've got a good reason why we're speeding. I've had a great reason every time. Sometimes the cops care and let me go, right? Most times they don't. But it's that attitude. Listen, sometimes you create the chaos. You lied and got caught. You came in late. You got fired. You cheated on him or her. And they said bye-bye. You lost their trust. Like sometimes it's things that you create. And so understand that. Because even in that, oftentimes we're so tempted to play the blame game instead of looking in the mirror and say, this is on me. You need to be aware of that. Here's a second way that, uh, that suffering typically comes into your, our life. And it's when life simply drops it on your lap. Jen and I moved to uh, Kansas City in May of 2010, and I got here probably 20 days prior to her. She was back in Florida. We had twin girls. They were about one at the time. And so me being awesome, I got here, found us the place to live, and I um, uh, got all the house moved in so that when Mama came, she would just be able to enjoy our house for a season, right? And so I hadn't seen her in 20 days, and I was ready to put her in the lip lock, just being honest, right? I mean, I'm just saying. I'm right. And so her mom and dad's there, and I respect John and Terry enough that I'm not going to put her, even though I'm 20 days away, so I'm like, hey, let me show you the rest of the house, because I'm smooth, right? <laughs> and so anyway, so I, I got Jen, and I'm like, I'm about, I'm about ready to lay one on her, and of course, she can't wait. So uh, I'm about to lay one on her, and she has this look on her face, and I'm like, what? She goes, I'm pregnant. I'm like, you're pregnant. And then we're all excited, and then that weekend we go to the doctor and we lost the baby. And I'm like, Lord, you mean the way you reward us for moving halfway across the country to start this brand new church, which I don't know any of you people. You had a new Jay. He's the only one I knew. It's his family. You know, um, uh, was a miscarriage, really? Sometimes life drops stuff in your lap that you don't want, right, that you don't care anything about. It's going to the doctor and, under, and, and find out that you have cancer. You know, we're walking through this right now with Chris and his wife, Rachel. And you guys have been so generous and, and, uh, and just loving on them. And I, I love seeing the church rally around them. Sometimes life just stinks. And I guess if you wanted to blame anybody, you could blame God, right? But that's sometimes. So sometimes you create it and sometimes life just says here. Don't, by the way, never ask you if you want it. Just says, here you go. How are you going to deal with it? And the third one is this. And this is the one that I struggle with the most. And it's when other people cause it. When other people cause it, when they're... Evil enters my holy when they're crazy enters my sanity. This is really frustrating. This is when you get plowed by the drunk driver. This is when the person hurts your child. This is when somebody lives out one of their sexual fantasies on someone that you care about and other people are hell-bent on their wickedness coming into your life. I really struggle with this one. It's, it's challenging. And the great question is, okay, what do we do in the midst of those things? And that's where we're going to go. So here's what I want you to do. Think about first, if you are currently suffering, and if you're not, keep this, keep this little bulletin page for later. Identify where your suffering has come from. Is it your fault? Is it the heaven's fault? Or is it someone else's fault? Now, what do you do? or I guess here's the question that I pose in the bulletin. How does God expect you and I to live amidst the suffering? Like when something goes down that wants to push us away from God and people and uh, destroy our faith, like what are we supposed to do? I want to give you three things, okay? And I'm, we're going to keep building upon this foundation. We kind of know where our suffering came from. Now, what do you do? You talk to God. Now, some of you, when I say that, you think, oh, so I need to like be this little good Christian, and my little passive weenie self, and because I can't say anything bad to God because God may zap me. And so you say, oh, Lord, thank you so much for the pain you've brought into my life because I'm so grateful for everything sucking around me right now. <laughs> listen, that's, Listen, that's why the world looks at us like we're a bunch of crazy people because every time somebody says how you're doing, you're supposed to say, oh, I'm doing great. Well, I heard your kid just died. Oh, it's wonderful. No, come on, sometimes life sucks. And sometimes the world needs to see how a person whose life is sucking responds in the midst of that. Are you with me? And so we got to get rid of this phony baloney stuff. Because listen, the rest of the world is suffering. The rest of the world is trying to figure out stuff. And meanwhile, the people who are supposed to have the answers because we're the ones that walk with God, we're the ones pretending like nothing ever happens to us. And then when something does happen to us and people are made aware of it, what do we do? We blame it on everything else. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. This week, I talked to God. There's been times in my life when I talk to God and I let God have it. I'm serious. I let him have it. I was so aggravated. There's been times in my life when I've been so aggravated about something that's coming to my life that I didn't want at all, and nor would you want. And man, I let God have it. It's not fair. Do you not care? You're supposed to be a good father. That song, sing it on the radio all the time. You're a good, good father. I don't think you're a good father. Do you have the boldness to tell God that? Now notice, this, the message doesn't end here. So don't freak out on me, okay? What do you do next after you talk to God is you need to talk to someone you acknowledge as a spiritual leader. After you let God have it, because you don't like your current situation, you need to be able to call on the phone or go have a cup of coffee or lunch with someone that you acknowledge as a spiritual leader in your life. Why? Because they need to talk some sense into you. They need to talk you off the ledge. They need to keep you from doing something crazy. Number three, because I'm going to pull these back together, number three is then... You read God's Word, you read or study God's Word for your next move. Now, why do I have that one, number three, instead of number two? Because if, I, if you do that second, you're going to read the Bible angry. You're going to read the Bible with a perspective of hurt and frustration, and you're going to go Old Testament. You're looking for that Old Testament God. Because sometimes the things that come into your life... You're mad as a dad, or you're mad as a mom, and you're like, I know there's something here, but I can kill somebody. Hang on, give me just a second, <laughs> and I'm going to find it. And when I find it, I'm going to apply. I, Lord, thank you for your word that I get to apply. it. This is discipleship. What are you saying, and what am I going to do? i am tell you what I'm about to do. I'm about to go kill somebody. That's what I'm about to do, right? You need to Before you go there, because you don't think clearly when you're suffering. Some of you are in the consequences that you're in because you did something rash in the midst of suffering. So before you, after you talk to God, before you go to his word, you need to talk to somebody who can speak some wisdom into your life, who can say, listen, I see, not excuse your pain, but to say, here, I hear you. Now, breathe, breathe, and let's talk. And then once you're calmed down, then you can go to the Bible and begin to say what God wants to say to you. Now, I'm going to chase a quick rabbit. All right. Today's message is a very general topic. Can somebody please turn the air on? I'm I'm burning up. You guys may be cold, but I'm hot and I win. So um (laughs) um so um and just drop it down. Like somebody like nobody's moving back there. There we go. Stanton, thank you. Yeah, somebody just put it at 47. I don't care. So um I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So um um I'm gonna talk this morning generally how we would typically respond in times of suffering. But you need to understand after you know if it's you create it life drops it or someone brings it, you need to be able to understand what is the cause of your suffering. Here's what I mean. Like we can't do this today because there's too many different topics. But let's say, for example, that you have a serious marriage issue that could lead to a serious fight, if not divorce. And so you're mad because maybe you created it Life dropped into your lap and you're something with your child and you guys cannot get on the same page. Or maybe someone in the marriage did something that's now totally wrecked it, right? Again, it, could, it always applies to one of those three. When you discover that, it does little good. If it's, if it's a marriage issue, it does very, it does no good to turn to revelation in your Bible to see how God is going to return for his church. That's like having a headache and taking Tums. Do you get what I'm saying? Like medicine in itself is not the answer. It's taking the right medicine for the right problem. And so when you're having a marriage, if you're suffering in a marriage relationship, you need to search the scriptures, talk to somebody who knows more that you acknowledge as leadership, and then search the scriptures with their help, with their guidance on marriage issues that speak specifically to what you're going through and then do what it says. This is what you don't do. I'm mad because something happened. Marriage, let's use that one again. And so you just say, well, here's this is do this. And you just turn and you point. And now, God, what are we able to say after this, our God? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded us through your servants, the prophets, with these words. Now I'm reading you Ezra 9, verse 10. Does it mean any? You're like, well, Lord, I don't understand what you're saying. Duh, he's not speaking to you on that passage, right? That's not how you study the Bible with this, you know, prophet finger. Uh, this one, right? No, come on. That's not how it works. God has put wise people all around you to help point you in the right direction. And if you can't have any wise people in your life, God gave you Google. <laughs> Seriously, there's no reason for us not to know. So talk to God, talk to a spiritual leader, read instead of your Bible on the specific issue that is causing the suffering. I'm going to talk the rest of the time about generalization of suffering on how everybody should respond despite the issue. Are you ready? We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 2 through 7, Paul writes to Timothy saying this, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. We're going to stop there. Here, Paul gives a great foundation for discipleship. He says to Timothy, Hey, Tim, what you've seen me do, I now want you to do, not for everyone, Notice notice the progression, I want you to, what you've seen me do, I want you to teach this to trustworthy people. And I want you to teach those people that then do this, what I've done for you for them to do it to someone else. And it just keeps going and going. So for example, like if people have invested in your life, if you have not done the same in someone else's, you have you have terminated, you have killed, you have stopped any discipline hope. If you've been blessed because somebody has invested in you and then you haven't taken it any further, you have kind of stopped the flow of what God is trying to do. This morning, what I want you to see is what God has taught me about suffering. I am passing it on, and I'm considering everyone in this room trustworthy people. And it is my hope that not only will it impact your life, but it will also impact other people that you work and live with and have meals with and do life with. Is that fair? That's what Paul asked Timothy. Now notice what he goes right into. Join with me in suffering. Timothy, how you have seen me suffer over these last 20 years. I want you to respond in suffering just like me. And I want you to teach others to do the same thing in this suffering. People, you got to know this. No one in this room is going to be absent of suffering in your life. It's not if it comes, it's when it comes. And you need to be prepared. And so look what Paul does. He says, he gives three examples. He says, Join thee in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Likewise, I can't say that word. Likewise, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Do you see how Paul doesn't set up each point? Like at first glance, that makes no sense, whatever. Be reminded, last letter from Paul, he's exhausted, he's been in prison, and he writes, and he even says to Timothy, reflect on this, for the Lord will give you insight. I want to help you reflect this morning on the three things that Paul mentions briefly. Generally, how do you respond in times of suffering? The first one is this he says, that of a soldier. If you want to turn your bulletin over, we're going to walk through this. He says about the soldier, listen to God and those you acknowledge as leaders, ignore everyone else. Some of us in our suffering, we give way too much weight and influence to friends of our life that have no spiritual understanding of what you're going through. They spend their time telling you what they think you should do. Hey, men, listen to me. Like this is us men, we lose this because we do life alone. Like you, dad, who your wife drug you here today guys in general who we don't like instructions or directions, we, we don't listen to anything. And so we passively push down any kind of stuff that we're going through. And listen, maybe you don't have a problem with civilian affairs because you don't even have any friends, true friends. You like people you say hi to, people you flip off, but that's all, right? You don't really have relationships. Listen to what Paul says here. You need to have a commanding officer. First, our commanding officer is God. Like, we need to know what God's word says. But secondly, you need to have a man in your life who you trust and can talk to about when stuff happens, when things aren't going right. And this idea that, oh, I'll just, you know, pull, my, pull myself up by my bootstraps, which is by, impossible, by the way. Try it. You can't do that. Like, you got to get out of that. You've got to get out of that, that isolation of being alone. And for the rest of us who have lots of friends and lots of people telling us what we're going to do, Paul says, listen, you need to ignore all of the civilian stuff, and you need to listen to those that you've acknowledged as leaders, and you need to listen to what God says. The world will always tell you what to do. Go to, again, Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media will give you advice on everything, what to eat, what to drink, what not to do. At times in suffering, you need to have good sources and not get caught up in civilian affairs. Some of us, if we just change that today, your situation will improve greatly. You've got bad resources. You've been taking all of your wisdom from the people who do your hair, do your nails, mow your lawn, who you drink beer with in the garage. I'm not saying they're not good friends. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm just saying you have to ask, are these a people that I acknowledge as spiritual leaders in my life? If yes, then absolutely talk to them and learn from them. But if they're just buddies, understand they're just buddies. And they're going to tell you what they think is best for you, not what God says is best for you. Just FYI. Paul goes from the soldier to the athlete. Notice what he says about the athlete. The athlete must live within the rules of both God and man. If you like filling in blanks. The athlete must live within the rules of both God and man. This is what he says. He says, likewise, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. He doesn't even talk about winning the race, winning the fight. He says, staying within the rules. What's he mean here? Oftentimes in suffering, you lose your mind. And when you lose your mind, you do things that are against the law. Some of you have been arrested in response to somebody else's wickedness. Like you've lost your mind and you've went after them, like in a fight. Because you're, ah, right? And you go. And like, listen, suffering is not your free ticket to do whatever you want to do. Suffering is not your free pass where Jesus goes, oh, it's okay in this one moment that you get to go against all rules and all laws of both God and man and do what you want because you're really hurting right now. No, the rules always apply. And some of us have had to pay fines and even spend nights in jail because we lost our senses when chaos came into our life and we did things that were justified in our mind but against the law of both God and man. Yes, football fans? Like really football you remember I remember this game last year. Cincinnati Bengals, Pittsburgh Steelers. Anybody remember that game playoffs last year? Bengals haven't been to the playoffs since Icky Shuffle. Some of you guys know how to do the Icky Shuffle? Back in like 1985, or not 85, but 80-something, they, they, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, got beat. They haven't been to the playoffs since then. And, and they're winning the game. They're beating the dreaded Steelers. There are, I mean, these guys are like super rivals. And at the end of the game, less than two minutes to go, two players on the Bengals' team, the linebacker and a Pac-Man Jones, the, uh, one of the safeties, they, they lose their composure. They, they lose their mind, make late hits, Helmet, helmet! You know, like the, you can't tackle like that anymore, right? They they break the rules of the game, and in one, like in one play, without taking any time off the clock, they give the Pittsburgh Steelers thirty yards in penalties. These two guys completely lost their composure. The Steelers walk thirty yards without any time coming off the clock. They kick a field goal and they win the game, and the Bengals still didn't make. Like YouTube this stuff. Like they were the mockery of all the sportscasters afterwards how these two guys lost their mind, they lost their composure, and in the midst of the battle, when things got hard, they played outside of the rules and it cost all their teammates future future playoff games. You have to keep your head... When suffering comes, you have to stay within the rules. You don't get to say, oh, but man, I was so... Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. That's why you go talk to God and you let God have it, and then you find somebody that can talk you off the ledge, and then you look to God's Word. But if you just suffer and then respond, you're going to do something dangerous. And not only is it going to hurt you, it could hurt those around you. Because now somebody's got to bail your butt out of jail. Spending their money. Right? Right? Someone's explaining to your kids while this is happening. And it just uh, somebody's paying off your debt. All of this stuff that takes place. Soldier, listen to your commanding officers. Athletes, stay within the rules, and then look what happens thirdly. Paul, I mean, he doesn't even set it up, he goes right to the hardworking farmer. And he says the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Anybody grew up on a farm? My dad's here today. He grew up on a farm, light Arkansas, right? Anybody else farm kids? Right? So like, if you think this is farming, this is not farming, where you go, woo, and throw out some seed and then go back to the farm and put a piece of straw in your mouth and chew it and then stuff just comes up. Like, that's not how it happens, right? It says the hardworking farmer. The hardworking farmer is going to pr- get the land ready. He's going to burn off the previous year's crops. He's going to disc it. He's going to let the nutrients get back in the soil. Then he's going to plant some seed, and he's going to water that seed. He's going to watch that seed grow. He's going to put fertilizer on that seed. He's going to put pesticides on that seed. He's going to care for it as it continues to grow, continues to grow, continues to grow. Hard work. It's hard work. It's a lot of sweat and a lot of toil and a lot of waiting and a lot of praying that what you're doing is actually going to work. It's hard-working farmer. But notice this. If you are the soldier who listens to what God says, if you're the athlete who stays within the rules, as this hardworking farmer who is tending to the crop of your life, get this, I love this, this is the promise, you will reap the reward first. Check what it says. The hardworking farmer should be the, what? First to receive a share of the crops. Like as you endure this suffering, you're going to get to feast on your endurance. There is something that's going to be revealed from this for you. I can't tell you what it is. I don't think it's ever the same thing. But you as the hardworking farmer are going to get to enjoy it first. And then what does the farmer do? He shares the remaining of his crop with his community. He receives it, he eats, he enjoys it, he relishes in it, and then he shares it with his community. Let's continue this thought. Paul continues, continuing on. He says, remember Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. He takes Timothy back on the purpose of his gospel. This is my gospel. Gospel simply means good news. This is the good news for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the what? The elect. That word scares some of you, right? Here's what Paul just said. The reason I endure is not for the world to go, wow, look at Paul. The reason I endured even these chains and all of these beatings and being shipwrecked and being made fun of and being ridiculed and having people that I love hearing about how they have died. The reason I endure is for the other called out followers of Jesus. Let's stay with this. He says, therefore, I endure everything, not some things, not most things. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The reason, a great reason that you have to endure, that you can't fall apart, that you can't, it's okay to say you're going to quit as long as you know you're not going to. Are you with me? Like, it's okay for you to have your little moment and say, God, I'm done. And you just cry and you quit and you say, I'm never going to church again. And I'm never doing this again. I'm never going to do that again. It's okay to say you're not, you're going to, it's okay to say you're going to quit as long as you know you're not going to. Because Paul says, here's what it's about it's that you endure so other people who are on this same spiritual journey as you can know that they can endure and that we won't quit. Guys, life gets hard, life is challenging. And us of us, those of us who are following Jesus, must be able to understand the reality of it, but then how do we respond in the midst of it? And that way, when you go to Starbucks or you go to your local place that you hang out all the time and they say, "Hey, how you doing today?" you can say man, today 's really crappy, really what 's going on?" And you can tell them and then you can tell them what you 're doing in the midst of your mess that 's real life. That's real relationships. And it's not this phony baloney. Oh, everything is great. Everything's always okay. Why? Well, because I go to church on Sunday. Who cares? It's life, but I'm enduring it. I'm enduring this situation for those others who are following with me. And then Paul wraps up this portion with this. He says, hey, Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying. Maybe it'll be trustworthy for you this morning too. He writes, if we died with him, being Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. If we disown Him, He will disown us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. In your suffering, notice the third line there, don't disown the Father. Don't disown the Father. In your pain that's not fair, it's okay to let God have it. It's okay, but don't disown the Father. This morning... Honestly, during this song, some of you may need to stand there in prayer or come up here and pray, kneel at the altar and pray and confess your sin of disowning God because something happened to you that's not fair, that's not right, that's evil. And here's what I love. The last thing there, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, but He cannot disown Himself. Man, I want you to hear this morning. Jesus is with you in the midst of your suffering. And how I wish He would just remove it how I wish you would just go, okay, you've had enough. You don't have to endure anymore. He doesn't promise us that, but he does promise us this, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He also promises this, that in this life, you will have many trials and many sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome this world. And here's just a hard truth for some of us. This life that we live on this planet may never be what you want it to be. It may never be the easiest thing and you may never achieve great wealth and, but that's not the reason why we were called by Christ. And so I just want to say to us, I'm just going to call you up. wherever you are in life, whatever your lot in life has been given, whatever life has thrown your way, whatever's come into your life, listen, you are called to follow God in that. And for you to say, oh God, well once this starts happening, then I will follow, is, is nonsense because God doesn't change His will to suit your life. He says, I want you to change your life to suit my will. The, the potter can't look at the potter and say, hey, this is how I want you to make me. No, the, the master gets to say, this is what I have for you. Listen, I hope it's a blessing. I hope it's nothing but the most enjoyable. I hope you get season tickets to Worlds of Fun. I hope everything goes your way. But it's probably not going to happen, guys. You get to decide. You get to decide what will you do amidst the suffering. Any pastor that sold you a bill of goods, that if you say yes to Jesus, life is going to be hunky-dory, all rainbows and sunshine, just flat out lied to you that's why jesus said two examples he said before a king goes to war he should first look at his army and look at the enemy and see if his army can take the bad guys and before a person builds a house he should look at his supplies and his bank account and say can i finish building this thing because the person the king who goes to war unprepared and the home builder that builds a home unprepared will look like fools in defeat or with a half-built house and When you confess Jesus as Lord and you begin to proclaim that with your life, you are proclaiming that whether it's good or bad. You don't get to be this casual, you know, I follow this small, a little J Jesus that's kind of okay with me saying yes sometimes. and No, no, no. Capital J, all caps Jesus, that's what I call you to. You don't get to say I quit because things get hard. You simply say, crap, this is bad. But you know what? I will be a good soldier. And I'm not going to get caught up. And I'm going to stay in line with what I know to be right. And I will reap reap the benefit. I will reap the benefit of what this will produce in my life. That is your call. And if you're waiting for everything to turn out perfect before you follow Jesus, listen, you will never follow. You might as well go find something else to do on Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons if you're waiting for everything to be perfect before you will follow. But I'm telling you something. God is faithful. How I wish I could just unpack all of these things in my life. I can't. They're too personal. They're too near. They're too private. I can't do that. But I'll tell you this I'm still standing, I'm still breathing, and God is faithful how you see me respond in the presence of many people, I want you to do the same. Just as Paul said to Timothy, and all down through history, thousands and thousands of years, here we are, a bunch of men and women who follow Jesus who have been enduring and teaching the next generation to do the same. Because I'm telling you this, our jacked up, crazy, broken world tells people to whine and complain and run when all hell breaks loose. But listen, that's not how kingdom people respond. When things get bad, we run to it, not away from it. No pansy Christians at New City Church. We're not playing that game. If you want to be a pansy, go be a pansy somebody else. Listen, God has placed us in a neighborhood that needs faithful people who can endure pain because there's brokenness all around us. I'm telling you something. We'll take hell with a water pistol. I don't care. Let's do this. We will not run. We will endure. How? Because of Christ and because of one another. We're not going to do this alone. We're going to be together. That's what I invite you to, all right? For those of you who call New City Home, here's your next step. How do I engage the mission this church is on? For those of you who are visiting, is this a place that you want to be a part of? If not, I totally get it. I get it. Some of us, we're not ready because we're trying to heal. I get it. But for those of you who are like, whoa, dude, you just dropped the gauntlet. Yeah? We ain't playing church. What's that all about? We ain't playing church. We're serious about what God's trying to do in us and through us. You guys stand with me. We're going to sing a song together, you worship as you see fit, and we'll wrap up in just a moment with the time of our generosity.